0: Thanks for joining us this week for Obi-Wan Part 1. This week, Derek and I continued our Compassion series, jumping into the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney+. Derek and I have been huge fans of Obi-Wan, well, really, (laughs) for me since the prequels, for Derek since the original Star Wars trilogy, seeing Ben Kenobi in A New Hope. And this is really a joy for us to get to come back to a character that we started talking about in literally episode one of Wonder Tour. In episode one, we looked at how Obi-Wan sacrificed himself in order to change Luke and really to change Darth Vader. So now in this series, we're getting to see Obi-Wan's transformation from this Jedi who's like a blazoned sword and shield in the prequel trilogy to the Ben Kenobi with the dust-ridden cloak that we meet in episode four, A New Hope. As we look into that, we want to see how Obi-Wan kind of chooses where to apply compassion. He's very closed off to the Force and to the outside world when we meet him in Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 1. And because of that, he isn't really displaying compassion in the way that we've looked at it so far in Wonder Tour. So join us while we look at how there's a conflict between compassion and wisdom sometimes, and we try to figure out... How do we address that in our own lives? All right. Episode
1: 56 today. Obi-Wan Kenobi coming back to our roots today. The very first episode that we published of Wonder Tour was a real teardown on Obi-Wan and Vader, as Drew talked about in the intro. And it was important to us because that was a very iconic moment. And if you just look at that as one moment, you can do that. But of course, here on Wonder Tour, we're going to extrapolate out because we love Star Wars. Don't we, Drew?
0: We do. I'm so excited to talk about Obi-Wan today. As soon as this series was announced, I was all in, obviously hoping that this was done right. And it looks by and large like it has been done correctly. Such a relief. I'm exhilarated after watching you know, the first couple episodes here. Actually, I think a number of years ago, maybe even 10, 15 years ago, there were rumors that there was going to be an Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series. This was long before streaming or anything like that. So it it truly has been a long time coming. And obviously, we did get a lot of the backstory of Obi-Wan during the Clone Wars years throughout the Clone Wars animated TV show. And there have been perhaps the most books written on any character of any character in Star Wars on Obi-Wan. So I think there is a whole lot of rich backstory to Obi-Wan, but this is like that critical point that you really wanted to learn about, right? It's like, how did the Obi-Wan from the prequel trilogy become Ben Kenobi from the original trilogy? How do you rationalize
1: becoming a hermit? (laughs) (laughs) With all the things going on in the world. And I think that's what he is constantly struggling with. Now, I don't know about how he is in episode four. It, It seems like episode four, he's just kind of reached that quote unquote broke stage and maybe it's that hologram that really breaks him out of it he's like oh yeah i remember that girl i helped her uh, way back in the day right i saved her saved her bacon and now she's asking for help again <laughs> she i'm her only hope apparently so maybe it's time to come back out of retirement here and and have a little more fun right so i think it's interesting to get to see that I, i'm with you on that part I will make a brief moment here for some of the cringy TV acting. <laughs> there is a little bit in there. Oh, you have changed. Why are you not being a Jedi anymore? <laughs> like, There's a couple scenes where I was just like, oh. <laughs> oh. But uh, overall, I, I, I'm really enjoying it. And the the Leia, uh, she's really sassy. So that's pretty funny. And she yeah, I feel that like well. that's a
0: good Leia. They They really nailed that. Oh. Uh, and they did a good job of keeping that a secret that Leia was even going to be in it until I mean, I, I didn't watch any spoilers. And so until I watched it, I didn't know that was going to happen. And then, when like you said, when you meet Leia, you're like, man, I, this is really believable that this yep. is the, the you know 11 year old Leia or whatever.
1: I'm just wondering when Grogu is going to bust through the wall like the Kool-Aid guy.
0: Hey, everybody I want some Kool-Aid. <laughs>
1: just like i gotta make my cameo and save everybody i don't think it's gonna happen to obi-wan though because obi-wan he stands on his own because they kept the same obi-wan can you imagine this is kind of a funny like fake what if moment but what if they cast a different actor as (laughs) obi-wan
0: yeah that would have been really that would have been something because ewan mcgregor did a good job heck that was one of the highlights of the prequel trilogy right was ewan mcgregor in most of his performances yeah, I mean he pretty much
1: saved those earlier movies in many ways. So, well, let's jump into the content today. I don't want to. I don't want to spend making superficial observations. We got to
0: get into the Wonder Tour stuff, right? Yeah, we got to get deep quick. <laughs> now, this is a part one episode, though. We usually spend a little bit more time on the lighthearted stuff in a part one episode, but. We can hop right in. So let's kind of revisit to start our working definition for compassion. And it's a real working definition here. (laughs) So we we have a couple different ways of thinking about it. We started by talking about how compassion is really like sitting next to somebody who's down on their lock on the curb, right? It's like a spot that nobody really likes to find yourself in. The curb is not a comfortable place to sit. (laughs) It's not an ideal spot, but we meet people where they're at. And so from there, we kind of evolved to compassion is about being there in the moment. It's also about the future and not the past that's going to come up big here. And it's about seeing the world from someone else's viewpoint. And so I think it's perfect that we recap that because those themes are going to continue to come up in Obi-Wan here. So in part one today, we're going to mostly focus on Obi-Wan Kenobi season one, episode one. We might drift a little bit outside of that, but... There shouldn't be any spoilers outside of that, really. And then in part two, we will drift into episode two. So, a hallmark of the discussion today, right, is that Obi Wan is really forced to be
1: someone that he doesn't want to be, but he does it anyway because of what's going on with Order 66, and it's still playing out. Order 66 has got to be one of the longest orders I've ever witnessed. Actually, you know what? The first 65, I have no idea. (laughs) So, not really, I don't really have a lot of benchmarks on that, but. He's he's really, you know, he can just tell he's just like dying inside. He's just like, uh, how long can I do
0: this? <laughs> well, he, it seems like he's really resolved to just live the rest of his life out this way. When we meet him here, you can they did such a good job, in my opinion, of finding the middle ground between again, kind of like I said in the intro, that vibrant Obi-Wan. that's bold and courageous that we meet in the prequels and the old crusty Ben Kenobi that we meet in A New Hope. Well, I do want to say I feel that he's very divided. I think
1: he does have a front game, but his back game is truly still in the Jedi order and everything. I mean, if you're really out of it, do you actually write down the location of your lightsaber, the GPS coordinates? He's not totally out of it. He didn't totally give that up. He wrote down the coordinates for the G- for the for the lightsaber.
0: That there's something there. Well, yeah, he could always find it with the Force, I imagine. It's like a kind of got like your your metal detector for your lightsaber, right? It's your it's your, your your implement. You know how to find it. You know how to you know pull it to you, even when you've been disconnected from it for a long time. It really becomes almost a part of you. <laughs> but finding that by feeling would take a little longer. So he would oh, have yeah. it down yeah.
1: anyway. Well, yeah. I could use the force, but I will go ahead and write this down. But I could use the force.
0: I just want you. To- <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean, we kind of see this. Is can he? Because he's he's really cut himself off from the force for good reason. Actually, this is one of the main conflicts. Yeah, Yeah. he's trying as much as possible. It's hard to leave that behind, though, because
1: it's very much a part of you, isn't it? Once you know about something, how hard is it to unknow something, right? Yeah. And I think that's the struggle he has here with applying compassion. Compassion, the action piece, right? We've talked about sitting on the curb, but compassion, the action piece, you have kind of I like to think of like this. I have a menu. I could pick different things off the menu, and that is how I apply my compassion. Obi-Wan has a number of things he can pick off the menu. I will pull my lightsaber out and start fighting. I can do a, I don't know, force push. Are Are the Jedi allowed to do force pushes? I think they are, right? Oh, yeah. The Jedi used force pushes. Yeah. So you can do you can do some things, but but you can't choke. Right. (laughs) So I'm just saying there's certain moves you're not allowed to do. My point is, is that he's got to hold all that back. He has the whole menu. He knows the menu and he has to pick the action of do
0: nothing. And that is killing him. That is just driving him crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's like drying him up. Right. We find ourselves once again on Tatooine. Sometimes it's a little bit worn to be on Tatooine, to be honest. Uh, but in this situation, it's not right. At least it wasn't for me, because this is where we met him in A New Hope. And that dry, arid, <laughs> you know, land in the cave that he finds himself in with this moisture machine uh running out of juice or whatever. <laughs> well, actually, the Jawa steals the part for it. Right. <laughs> he's in it's like his mind is in almost the same spot. He's he's in this cave in his mind. Everything's dry. He's by himself. He's really a true hermit. Yes. And so our what if today is, what if
1: Obi-Wan didn't commit to this life? And I would throw out there, I don't know what you could think about this scenario. We can play out whatever one you want. But I think he would be like Cobb Vanth, right? He would be more of like a, this is my town. Or maybe I should say it in an Obi-Wan voice. This is my town. (laughs) And, and, oh, by the way, and the forces. Right. But I think he'd be more like a a sheriff and whatnot. And, well, sometimes you take a hit, right? And that kind of would steal away from his other mission, right? Right.
0: Yeah, I I would let me take another perspective. I think given the situation that he finds himself in, I think that strategy of being a Cobb vanth doesn't really work in this climate because it it would it worked for a cob in uh, the Mandalorian because the first order doesn't have complete control of everything. And I know they're in the outer rim and stuff like that, and in the outer rim nobody has complete control of anything really. But the first order was strong but maybe not to the point not pinnacle empire strong which is what we're seeing here where i mean if they find out about you if you're if you're a target out in the open you're screwed it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter if you're obi-wan or luke skywalker or anything else no target in the open is going to survive the peak of the empire they have these inquisitors they have full force of all these star destroyers i mean heck they I I mean, they'd probably destroy a planet to get rid of (laughs) Obi-Wan. Star killer base. Star killer base. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So they, they destroy a planet. So I think the alternative, you have to take more of a all out assault approach. You got it. I think he would have to band together some Jedi, right? That's that's the strength of the Jedi during the Republic period is their numbers and their order. So I would I would think he would go around trying to get all the Jedi together. I think that's just more of the Jedi way and more the Obi-Wan way than trying to be a solo artist, a solo artist. I love it. <laughs> Like a then don't up. you consolidate? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My
1: name is Obi Wan, and I'm here to say <laughs> I like the Force in a major way. <laughs> Star Wars is special for us. If you if you can't tell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that that strategy, right? He, you you know, he thinks through that, right? He comes across this Jedi in training. And the dude's looking for Obi-Wan and he turns away. He's like, no, I can't join forces with you because I thought through all the scenarios and that is going to come to complete destruction. Basically, there's no way that we're going to be able to have enough numbers to be able to overcome them. And here's another question for you, Derek. At this point in obi Wan's story, is he even focused on the long game here? Is he focused on winning Mm. versus the emperor? Or does he think that's somebody else's job and his job is just to protect Luke and Leia? Sometimes I think he's kind of bedded down for the long nap, thinking
1: that he's just like we do in Interstellar, that he's just going to wait this out. And because these kids are fairly unknown, right, that he's just going to wait until it's time. Kind of like putting something in the oven and then the timer goes off. But I'm sorry. People take a little bit of management, right, especially a precocious little girl like Leia, who's always getting into something. We don't really see a whole lot about Luke. And we know that Luke spends most of his time at Tashi Station going to get power converters. And that's the most rambunctious thing that Luke gets into. (laughs) If you listen to the way Baru uh, bats him around in episode four, he pretty much just he minds pretty well, right? It's not like he's going off the reservation and there's not a whole lot outside of his reservation, whereas Leia's like got some woods. She's probably got some tennis courts, right? She's living the in the lap of luxury. So she's obviously the bigger risk. And that's why he can't just unplug and let it go. And part of this is the personalities, of the people that he's chosen to protect. And he didn't really get to choose that because he saw them as babies. And he's like, I got this, right? <laughs> I got this for 20 years or whatever it is. And he didn't know what he was signing up for. And I think that's something interesting here is that when you have a good heart and you want to do the right thing, you don't know always what you're signing up for. But because you have a good heart and you want to do the right thing, you do it anyway, even when it starts to, well, in this case,
0: split you down the middle, right? Yeah, it's not binary. This I think the big takeaway for me so far from watching this series and from thus far in the episode is it's just not binary we want compassion is the thing that we've brought up so far you know we've gone through and talked about a number of different areas curiosity integrity etc of a magnanimous leader and compassion is the one that really seems to verge the closest on wisdom and i don't want to get too far into it but really My current understanding of the magnanimous leader is it all verges on wisdom. Truly, all of the good in the universe is verging on wisdom, essentially. So when you get it's like when you're getting really close to the core of what underpins reality you're starting to get the wisdom and compassion weirdly takes us there because when we talk about empathy, empathy is something we want and need as humans and and leaders to have all the time. The compassion, that's the tough one, because like you said, when you're committed to a mission and your mission is a long, long game and there's a vision for flourishing, but you might not be the one who gets to realize it. Unfortunately, you can find yourself sometimes in a situation like Obi-Wan is in here where you conflicted and really having compassion in an instant, and taking the action of compassion is almost not the way because it's going to open you up to too much risk and not just you, because if it's you, Here's one thing I'm pretty sure about Obi-Wan, if he could, I'm sure he would love to just have an all out fight with with Vader, with the Inquisitors. That's that is definitely the character that we see of him in the prequels. He would love to just go out with a a flurry if he could, but he has to fight that that conflict there, there. That's a conflict that I see in myself. You know, I see it in a lot of leaders around me and humans as a whole, right, have this conflict of When do I need to act? When do I need to have compassion on somebody? And when does the long game take over? And when do I need to conserve energy or de-risk in the situation? There's
1: so much about it that's empathy-driven. And if you don't have the empathy, you really can't you really can't use the wisdom because you don't have enough information flowing in to know what to do when. And so I, I think it's interesting to to empathize with Uncle Owen because he really does kind of haul off and wail on him a little bit there in the town before Reva shows up and has a tantrum,
0: <laughs> has a little fit. <laughs> This is our moment here, I think, is Uncle Owen's encounter with Obi-Wan and then him getting interrogated by the Inquisitor.
1: Yeah, because he's, he's given a smackdown to Obi-Wan like, dude, just stop it with all the Jedi stuff. Uncle Owen is very operational. He he just wants to get the farm, do the farm thing so Baru can make her blue Kool-Aid drinks in the kitchen. She's got to have she's got to have funds coming in to do that, man. Kool-Aid's expensive. I don't know. <laughs> but it's interesting, right? You're like, what is in that jug? I mean, it just looks weird. But Uncle Owen just wants to keep it small, keep it simple, keep it focused, keep the, the farm running. We don't really know a lot about Uncle Owen's goals other than that. And he just wants Obi-Wan to stop playing this like high minded game with all these ideals because he doesn't see that coming. He thinks that's just hogwash. He thinks that the all this force stuff. And think about it. If you're way on the outside of something, you also probably will have that perspective. I would have that perspective. You would have that perspective, Drew, if you didn't have that direct experience that Obi-Wan has with the force, right? And knowing that it's real and knowing that there is a plan. Even Obi-Wan's kind of like, oh, I don't know if there's a plan or not. I'm going to go bury this lightsaber. I better just hunker down here but I am going to stick to my word. I am going to stick to my word. I don't know where this is leading me, but I'm going to stick to my word, right? But Uncle Owen is like, your word, you promised to do something that doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense to me in my world. And let's I just need you to to stop. A, You're annoying. Let's
0: relate this to a business <laughs> or a personal context because I think this comes up yeah. all the time and and I want to try to make this a little bit more personal In a business context, this seems to come up pretty often when you're (laughs) when you're in the business of transformation uh, of change management. This sort of thing comes up all the time where, you know, you're trying to get buy in from diverse stakeholders And sometimes, you know, you have to you're trying to play to the what's in it for me mentality, because that's a great way to do change management. Right. You want to work with your stakeholders and try to figure out what's in it for them. And so, of course, you know, Owen gets what's in it for him to have Obi-Wan there. He's he provides protection for Luke in case of emergency, essentially. But he doesn't want it. He doesn't want the change that Obi-Wan's trying to provide, right? Obi-Wan's trying to broaden Luke's horizons. He's trying to show him the universe instead of just this desert planet. And and isn't that what it feels like a lot of times being the prophet for change? (laughs) You're trying to show people, like, there's such things as an X-Wing. You can fly. You know, you can become a pilot. You can become a Jedi. There's all these things you can become. And sometimes people are like, yeah, but we're just going to be moisture farmers on a desert planet. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what I know. I know
1: what that outcome leads to. And it leads to stability. It leads to predictability. And I like those things. So I'm going to keep craving those things. And I'm going to keep rocking myself to sleep at night. And stop talking about the Academy, Luke. You can check it out next season. That only works so long, doesn't it? Because when there's somebody who wants to keep going, it's just really hard to stop them. When somebody's far off, though, you know, and and the relationship that Obi-Wan has to Uncle Owen, he can easily repel him because he's, well, number one, Uncle Owen doesn't control him, right? And so I think that's hard for him, the fact that Obi-Wan isn't paid by him. I don't think Obi-Wan's getting paid by anybody because he's working in a meatpacking plant, right? So. That's kind of tricky too. Again, wow, what a character, right? that he that he keeps going. But Uncle Owen is that quintessential example like you're saying. I, I I think that you've you've really hit on something that's very teachable out of this this uh, this frame up
0: here. So what do we learn from this? Well, one thing that I take away is when you're trying to find the balance of wisdom and compassion, right? What's wise to do in a situation? Is it wise to expend my energy? and be compassionate here or is that going to get somebody killed we really have to keep the focus on other people because obi-wan you know let's say he is able to take the long view and let's say he is still trusting the force even though he's not connected to it maybe a long shot but just what if um, and he see, he sees Luke as the chosen one, right? He doesn't know this yet. We, we pretty much know for sure. He doesn't know that Luke is the chosen one yet. It's, it, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't see the connection between Luke and Anakin being, you know, him kind of, the two of them being the chosen one together, basically. So he, but he's trying to get him to, to broaden his horizons. He has to keep the focus, even though Owen's blocking his way, essentially, he has to keep the focus on Owen and he has to step back and he has to have compassion on Owen in the situation and say, Okay, well, if compassion is really about seeing something from someone else's point of view and it's about the future and not the past, then I have to protect Owen because I don't want to get Owen killed. There's there's inquisitors lurking and stuff like that. As much as I want to, you know, continue to interface with Luke and it's really his only purpose in life, he's able to to some extent sacrifice that because he sees Owen first. He's able to keep the focus on other people. I I want to bring one more thing up here, though, actually with that, because in change management activity it's so easy to get away from keeping the focus on your stakeholders and especially when you have a complex projects that have to navigate many different organizations and many different you know external factors internal factors it's so hard to keep the focus on the stakeholders everybody wants to because it's easier keep bringing the focus back internal every time we have a conflict with a stakeholder bring the focus back internal to ourselves and so the the constant internal fight and then fight even within your teams to get the focus back to the stakeholders constantly it that in and of itself is a huge tension. Well the, the
1: key here I really do think that empathy has the key and it sounds like beating a dead horse but you've got to keep putting yourself into the mental state of the people that you're trying to change that you are trying to be compassionate towards and you have to really understand where they're at and that's why you can't do action x y or z you have to know that those things are grayed out in the menu for a reason they don't have any relevant Right now. Even if you did them, it wouldn't do anything. And I think that's the the wisdom part where you have to know that even if your compassion made you act in these ways, that it would not make the difference that it needs to make until a specific time and a specific place. And that's what Obi-Wan struggles with so much, is he has a man of great capability and power, but he holds it all back because he is using wisdom and knowing this is not a heart issue. I mean, I'm just telling you right now. the. Way the way he looks at Uncle Owen, the way he looks at Uncle Owen, and he knows that Uncle Owen is scared and he doesn't want to lose what he has, that's mainly Uncle Owen's M.O. He uses empathy to figure that out. And he knows that Uncle Owen, where he, where Uncle Owen's at, and he just tries to pick some choices. And let's go back to the Jedi that's being hunted, though. I think this is one that's very teachable, too. So this Jedi is being hunted. He tries to be like, yo, dude, I'm just Ben. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> So you ever had a conversation with somebody like that? And they're just like, "Um, I do not know what you are saying. I my name is my name is Drew. I I do not know this. And I'm thinking, like, if I ever tried to have a deep conversation with you sometime and you'd be like, I would like to talk about the weather. I'd be like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to happen, you'd say, well, the sun is up because it needs to be up. And right. That's what I would expect to happen. But if you flipped into this other mode and i it's just that's the struggle. Right. He, he has to understand with empathy right where this guy is at. And ultimately, he's just kind of like, wait a minute, just just go bury your lightsaber. Right. He, he doesn't actually say, OK, I am Obi-Wan because the guy
0: knows he's Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is this is maybe we're too far into this episode to be bringing this up now, but this is obviously drawing parallels to the Holocaust. I mean, it's it's very clear in this. I mean, heck, the stormtroopers, what are the stormtroopers based on? Right. Like <laughs> this Star Wars has drawn a lot of its inspiration from the empire, from Nazi Germany. And seeing here this conflict of wanting to fight the aggressor and wanting to defend, you know, the, the people whose lives are valuable and who who are equally valuable as anybody else in the universe and yet are being disregarded or are being abused. It's just so strong. And yet that's the conflict is sometimes the the all out confrontation. It's just going to get you smashed. And so he can't. And it, it, it honestly, that's why this episode, this first episode is so effective for me, because it draws it pulls on your heartstrings that way. As a leader you want you see it and you already have this love for Obi-Wan as a character and then when you see him not able to help the guy at at the meat carving whatever that you got to love Star Wars for that <laughs> we're like carving the meat of this weird huge animal and that's that's his job it's so good but This dude's getting, you know, the overseer is like, no, you're going to get paid half as much today and then like punches the guy and Obi-Wan's next in line. And you're like, man, like, why doesn't he just teach this overseer a lesson? That's the conflict. I'm not saying that he makes the right choice or the wrong choice to help the Jedi or to help the guy who's who's, you know, getting his wages cut. The challenge is to try to see the long game, but still to see each individual and have empathy for them in the process and not to get so zoomed out that all we see is the long game, because, you know, we talked about that a number of times. That's when you get that zoomed out, you you become the what's his name and don't look up. Oh, the bash guy. Yeah, bash. Ex- yeah. yeah, the bash guy. Exactly. That's who we become where you're just like, no, this is, you're just a probability. You it's know, attached. I see how this yeah. is going to end and we'll destroy, you know, we'll destroy the meteor. It's you can't we got to play somewhere in between, which is really challenging when well, as humans and leaders, we're teaching ourselves to just channel our emotions and channel our relationships with people.
1: I would say developing your compassion is a process that can rip you apart because compassion very much, very much makes you act and that action may cause a consequence for you. And I think that's
0: that's probably where we should leave it today. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's good. We can kind of wrap it here if you want me to just summarize for us. Yeah, go ahead and run through that. So I think in part one, mainly, we've talked about how do you the wisdom of compassion, really? And this is an extension of Thor Ragnarok discussion that we have with Brian. The wisdom of compassion is not easy to find. You know, when do we need to have that instance of compassion directly and be sitting on the curb with somebody? Or when do we need to be not necessarily closing ourselves off, but viewing things from a higher vantage point and realizing that really in this moment, empathy for that person looks like doing something that's going to be painful in an instance and not, I might not help them, but in the long run, you know, I'm protecting the people that I'm here to protect. And I'm, I'm doing the thing that is going to keep the team intact, even though it's going to put the team through some pain right now.
1: It's not easy. And we'll talk more about that in part two next week. So I will close this out. Just remember, character is destiny. We'll see you next time.